Welcome to Sunday School for Heathens. The show where we learn about Christianity and how weird it sounds to everyone else. I'm Shannon. And I'm Brian. I am not a priest and I do not have a degree in theology. I'm just the kind of guy you call when you think you found a saint statue in your backyard. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, our, our friend Sean moved in with his partner and she found buried in her yard. Can you guess who? Uh, I know who you're supposed to bury when you move into a place, but I can't remember who it is now. Someone was trying to sell their house using St. Joseph buried upside down in their yard. Oh yeah, that's the one you're supposed to bury. (laughs) (laughs) I knew there was one. That there was canonically a thing where people bury saint statues in their house. Yeah, and Sean was just like, is is this a thing? And And I was like, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a thing. You bury him upside down to like torture him into selling your house? Which is ridiculous, but okay. Uh, we're back! We are. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Brian is on furlough. (laughs) Yeah, thanks, COVID! (laughs) So we have taken an extended vacation from this show because Brian has been off doing too many cool things at once. Uh, well, one one of them is cool. Sure, by doing a cool thing and then (laughs) while also trying to live his regular life. Yeah, I am uh, officially one year down, uh, and I have a third of a Master's in Divinity. Yeah, we're at some point we're going to have to amend the intro as Brian gets more actual academic qualifications in religion. Yeah, still two years away from having my Master's, so still don't have to change anything for a while. That's true. We got some time. But because Brian was on furlough, so he's not in grad school and also working at the same time, and I'm unemployed. And so Brian thought this would be a perfect time for us to bring the podcast back. Yeah, I figured it'd be a good time for a special episode. And while researching this one, I actually thought of an episode that would be very easy to write. So we might have another one Great. soon-ish. Cool. I mean, I'm around. Uh, I will let everyone know that on account of the coronavirus, if you're listening to this now or, I don't know, deeply in the future... Sometime, uh, Brian and I are recording outside today, so if you hear any weird sounds, there seem to be some construction noises happening in a neighbor's yard that we have no control over. We are wearing masks, we are social distancing, we're doing it all very safely, but we really wanted to bring you guys an episode, so here we are. Yeah, if you're listening to this and it's still COVID, wear a mask. Yeah, (laughs) if we can wear masks while recording a podcast, you can wear a mask while doing literally anything else. That's true. I had to move my car today because it was street sweeping, and I got out and got in the car and didn't think about it, and then was like three blocks away and had to walk back and didn't have a mask, and I felt so self-conscious and weird. <laughs> I was like, I'm doing it bad. I So at work, I have to wear safety glasses when I go out onto the shop floor, because mm-hmm. I'm an engineer in my spare time. Uh, <laughs> and... So now, whenever I go out and I'm wearing a mask but not wearing safety glasses, I feel like I've forgotten something. Oh, sure. When I really don't need to be wearing safety glasses in normal life. No, it's true. (laughs) But now your face is just used to needing uh, protective equipment. Yeah, I need to be very protected. Yes, always. (laughs) Yeah, I felt very naked for the, like, three-block walk back from my car. But, again, we are masked now. We are here. So, Brian... What are we talking about today? So we're actually talking about a pretty relevant to COVID topic. We're talking about spiritual communion. Okay. Uh, I don't have any idea what that means. (laughs) That makes sense. It's kind of an obscure bit of theology, 
but it's come up a lot more recently because of COVID. Basically, it's the idea that if you, for some reason, cannot receive the Eucharist, uh, but you really, really want to, really badly, that's good enough. Okay. (laughs) Does this go along with the, like, emergency baptism thing? Yeah, it's very similar. A lot of people compare it to if you desire to be baptized, but then die, then it's good enough. Sure. (laughs) So, similar idea. All right. We've talked in the past about how in Christianity there's a range of views on what the Eucharist actually is. Yes. Some people view it as entirely symbolic, just a way of remembering Jesus. Some people see it as sacramental. It gives us some kind of gift or it gives us strength to keep going. Some people see it as actually the body and blood of Jesus that we're receiving. So... Spiritual communion really only matters if you have one of these higher Eucharistic theologies. If it's just a symbol, then you don't need your emergency contingency plan. No. If it's just a symbol, you can find some other symbol that brings you peace. Yeah. You don't need to be, like, preparing for how to get Eucharist in the apocalypse. Right. Or just, like, if your government doesn't like Christianity. Oh, yeah. I guess that's true. If you are in a place where that is not a thing that is allowed. Which, historically, that's more often when it's been used is when people can't get to church for reasons like that. That makes sense. So because of the theology behind this, primarily this is a practice you're going to see among Roman Catholics. To a lesser extent among Lutherans and Anglicans, and occasionally among Methodists. It's not really deemed necessary for Orthodox Christians because of the belief that the Divine Liturgy exists outside of time and is eternal. Which is not to say that you shouldn't be going to church as an Orthodox Christian, but it's more meant as a a comfort when you can't. Sure. It's a remember, if you can't get to church, the church is always there forever and eternity. Yeah, it's happening outside of time, so you can still say your pre-Eucharistic prayers. Yeah. As a as an Orthodox Christian, even when you can't make it, because it's outside of time, those prayers can apply to when you received communion six months ago. Or they can apply when you'll receive it again next month or whenever. Sure. So if you go a period of time, you can preemptively say the prayers for next time. Yeah, I particularly think it's fun that they can weirdly retroactively ap- apply because time is Jeremy Bearme. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Orthodox Christianity. Time is Jeremy Bearme. If anyone's wondering, a thing I've done in quarantine is watch The Good Place. (laughs) Clearly. (laughs) Wait, we have to pause so I can look at your shirt. Oh, yes. um, I'm wearing my gay Episcopalian shirt. It Uh, does say (laughs) Episcopalians for inclusion and orthodoxy, and it has a picture of a unicorn wearing some sort of hat. Yeah, it's a Beretta. It's a fancy priest hat. I it, I was gonna guess it was some <laughs> sort of priest hat. I think the Orthodox might also have a similar hat in their closet of hats. They very well might. But yeah, it is a quality shirt, and I like just got a good look at it, and it, I had to stop us and talk about this shirt. <laughs> oh yeah, I had to wear it today. Special occasion. Thank you to Chris Corbin, who's an Episcopal priest who designed this shirt. Cool guy that I follow on Twitter. Yep. Brian, big Episcopalian. <laughs> uh, you know you know why I put that, right? I believe so. It was right after the, the most recent Supreme Court decision because, what is his name? 
not Kavanaugh, the other one. Yeah, Gorsuch. Uh, is an Episcopalian, and someone was complaining that that big Episcopalian is taking over the government. Episcopalians do not have that much power, no. I promise you. <laughs> I thought that's sort of a bit. So I am big Episcopalian. Yes. <laughs> Brian is big Episcopalian incarnate. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, reining us back in. Rain back to communion. <laughs> this is going to be a long episode just because we're so off topic because we haven't seen each we other. We haven't seen each other in a while. <laughs> we haven't podcasted in even longer. We just really needed to like talk about all the things. Yeah, and you know, you all probably missed us. Some of you definitely missed us. <laughs> and for those of you, hi. It's Hello. Nice to be here podcasting. So. Anyway, Roman Catholics and some mainline Protestants, like this is a thing. Let's talk about the Bible. Of course! <laughs> That's the way the show goes. Yeah. So, why do we need this? Why do, why do we need communion? Why is it this important? Going back to the words of institution. Ooh. The things that Jesus said to make the Eucharist a thing. Uh, in the three synoptic gospels, Jesus breaks bread, says it's his body, pours out a cup of wine, says it's his blood. Weirdly, does not actually do the the bread thing in the Gospel of John. He does the feet washing. Oh, okay. So then which Gospel does he do bread in? He does bread in the other three. All the other three, just not in John. Yes. Synoptic Gospels mean Matthew, Mark, Luke. Oh. They all share a similar source. So they have a lot more similarities than any of the three of them do to John. Yeah. Um, I think we've talked about that before, but definitely a good thing to... Yeah, I couldn't remember if John was in that group of close ones or if it was the one that was the odd one out. Nope, John is the weirdo. Okay. It's okay. So the other three, bread. Yes. For body. And particularly in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Great. So, cool. We are supposed to break bread and drink wine together, and it's supposed to be Jesus' body and blood. He doesn't really give us any further instructions. I know you want detail more, always. Yeah, but good for heading it off early, where I'm like, does he say how? <laughs> no, no, no. He just says, do this in remembrance of me. Um, Thanks, Jesus. So specific and helpful. Yeah, not, not any further instructions on how often. Also, doesn't tell us to do this symbolic one bite of bread and one sip of wine. They were eating a meal together. Sure. Passover meal. And... Eating a meal together was clearly important to the early Christians. In Acts of the Apostles, which is the second volume of Luke, basically, it says that when new Christians were baptized, they, quote, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and the prayers. So, breaking the bread up there with teaching and prayers. It was a thing that they did every day. Important. Yeah. So, biblically, Jesus told us to do it. And biblically, people were doing it. Great. Cool. Why? Because he said so. (laughs) Yes. Look at you. I figured it out. (laughs) No, there's more. Like, Jesus explains in another place why we should bother. Other than just he told us to do it. Because we're not good at listening to things that we're just told to do. Like wearing masks. Everyone wear a mask. Everyone wear a mask. Unless you're listening to this way in the future and we no longer need masks. If you're listening this way and if you turn me along in mass, you better have been wearing a mask during this time. <laughs> yes. So, for this, why is it important? We actually go to the Gospel of John. Okay. And this makes sense because this is kind of the theology behind it instead of the just do it, eat the bread. Sure. Because John is high Christology. 
you remember uh, the word Christology? I remember it. Couldn't tell you what it means. <laughs> High Christology would basically mean that you're emphasizing the godlike uh, elements yeah. of Jesus <laughs> instead of the human-like elements. That makes sense. And John's Gospel is a lot about that, right? There's a lot more Christology in it. Yeah, much higher Christology. I mean, that's the one that begins, in the beginning there was the word, and the word was God. Yes, yes. (laughs) So, going to this story in uh, John chapter 6. At this point in the gospel, Jesus had just performed a miracle that fed 5,000 people. Is that loaves and fishes? Yes, good job! I got it! (laughs) And people were following him because that was awesome. Yeah. (laughs) And... Jesus is annoyed because he complains that people are only following him because he fed them. I mean, food is important. Hierarchy of needs, Jesus. Yeah, food is important, but he's annoyed. Sure. He says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. Okay, so he's like, you should be following me for my teachings and not just because I have snacks? Basically, yeah. This feels a little bit like fifth Harry Potter book Harry Potter or like third Hunger Games book Katniss, where you're like, oh man, everyone thinks I'm the chosen one. This is hard. Yeah. I mean, he, he also like is. Sure. Which I mean, I guess they were in the books too. Yeah. <laughs> but every person like that in fiction, at least, has that moment where they're like, this sucks and I don't like it and I'm moody about it. Yeah. And this feels like Jesus is having one of those moments. Yeah, this is a little moody, Jesus. And everybody responds by saying, hey, please give us this more awesome food that you're talking about. Because ah. they're thinking, they're still thinking like, oh, he, he's, he has food. Like, this is bread that's going to make us live forever. He, they don't realize that the more awesome food is actually teaching. Yeah. It's probably <laughs> a parable. <laughs> so he's like, all right, fine. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And he also says, those who believe in him will be raised up on the last day. Then the people grumble, (laughs) and they say, literally, we know this guy's dad, Joseph. (laughs) He totally did not come down from heaven. (laughs) And he's like, but what if I did? (laughs) And he's basically like, no, for real, guys. And he, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. (laughs) He is the bread. He is the better snacks. Yeah, I am the better snacks. I'm not going to give you a chunk of bread. And he says, anyone who eats of this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give you for the life of the world is my flesh. So he's teaching them to fish. I guess. This is less, he's like, I'm not going to give you a fish, but I will teach you to fish, and that teaching you to fish is, in fact my body that will someday be in bread. Sure, yeah. It will be will be your belief in God. Yes. I mean, later there will be bread. But right now, it's like, listen to me. <laughs> please, please, listen to me. And then we have a fun little Merchant of Venice moment where they're like, but how can this guy give us his body? <laughs> of course. <laughs> and Jesus probably is sighing heavily at this point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's like, don't worry about that part, guys. And I love this because I just, reading it this time, every time he said truly, truly, it just sounded so exasperated to me. (laughs) Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. 
Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died, whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So, Jesus is the good bread. Jesus is the good bread. And you'll live forever if you eat this bread. That is Jesus. Yes. But they're all still like, wait, are you advocating cannibalism? Right, they're very confused. They're very confused. And about like, this, they, this doesn't get resolved bread. in this this spot. They're still confused when he's done. Sure. <laughs> they're just like, this is a metaphor we don't understand. Please tell us you're not advocating for cannibalism. Because it sounds like you might be advocating for cannibalism. Oh, and it's like even worse because he's talking about the blood too. Remember, these are all Jewish people. So blood is like especially a no-no. Yeah. So this is super weird. They're very confused. (laughs) (laughs) But now we get it. Jesus then gives us bread that we can eat that is also him. We get, this is important. This is life-giving bread. Eventually they figure it out. Yeah. This discourse was earlier. This was before he instituted the Eucharist. So, I don't know. Maybe he dumbed it down for us. I don't know. (laughs) Does Jesus himself institute the Eucharist before he is crucified? Yes. That is the Last Supper. Oh, great. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. And that is what happens in the three synoptic gospels. He gives them the bread before he And does like, that magic bread I was telling you about. Here is the magic bread. Here is the magic bread. (laughs) Eat this. Do this in remembrance of me. Me. (laughs) Cool. So, eternal life if you eat this bread. Got it. Very important. We understand why people want to eat this bread often. Yes. Early and often. Just like voting in Chicago. (laughs) Yep. So, I'm sorry for that terrible joke. No, it was worth it. I really appreciated it. <laughs> all of the non-Chicago people who listen to this podcast will be maybe confused, but all the ones who live in Chicago will laugh. I feel like that's a thing that people know about Chicago. I guess, like, I grew up with my parents making that joke about voting early and often, but didn't tie it back to Chicago until I was living in Chicago. Okay, fair enough. Uh, the joke is Chicago, Chicago politics are corrupt. <laughs> yeah, it's basically the whole joke. <laughs> Okay, so, important bread. If the bread makes you live forever, you're going to want to eat this bread often. Yeah, and like I said, in Acts of the Apostles, people were eating this meal together every day. But pretty early on, we move from daily holy potluck dinner to more ritualistic Eucharist. In the Didache, which we've talked about before, it's a first century CE document Yes. that contains a worship service. It still has full meal for Eucharist, but it's done on the Lord's Day, so once a week. Okay. The frequency of communion has changed a lot over the history of the church, but honestly, we don't need to get into all the fluctuations of that. That could be its own episode. Sure. So, for now, we'll say, important to do it often, because of what Jesus said in John, and also because, according to our buddy Augustine, it's a sacrament. Um, and sacraments are outward signs of inward grace. Meaning, God has already saved us, but the Eucharist is sort of a lens through which we can see that salvation, so we get the strength to keep going. Yeah, so, again, another good reason to do it often. Yeah. It keeps up your your religious motivation. Yeah, basically. So, now we've established 
communion is important. We have a problem. If you are in a country that doesn't allow Christianity, or you live somewhere far away from a priest, uh, what do you do? How do you do it? What are, what's going to happen? Do you not get eternal life now because you can't get your hands on some Jesus bread? Hopefully not. That seems not very kind. No, that would suck. Yeah. <laughs> so again, good buddy Augustine yeah. to the rescue. He's got it figured out. This guy, he wrote a lot of things. Boy, oh boy, did he. <laughs> he had so many thoughts. And some of his thoughts appear to be on how to solve your Eucharist problem? They, Yeah, they are. He, in particular, he expounded upon that passage that I read some of from John. So in that passage, Jesus compared manna in the desert and the bread that is his body. Uh, side note, have we talked about manna before? I feel like we did once. Okay, manna is the Israelites were... Wandering in the desert. Yes. After they had escaped from Egypt. Yeah, somewhere before we climbed up and down a mountain a whole bunch of times. Yeah, it was definitely in that time period. Yeah. They didn't have food because they were in the desert. That is how deserts work. So God gave them food, but it was really weird food. Ah, uh, yes. It was just like weird God food that didn't wasn't recognizable as like what they would know as food. It was like flakes of bread that covered the ground like frost. Weird. Yeah, that's manna. Like, mystical cornflakes. Okay. <laughs> that, at least that's what it is in my head. Sure. <laughs> I'll take it. Okay, so, manna in the desert, compared to Eucharist, Ew. because both are Food God from God. Yeah. yeah, they're both God bread. They're just very different God breads, because one kept you from dying in the desert, and one will make you live forever. Right. So, Augustine says... Moses ate the manna, and Aaron did too, and they understood that this visible food also was a spiritual food. They desired it spiritually, they tasted it spiritually, so that they might be spiritually filled. So what he's saying is that the spiritual desire for the bread is the important part. The people who, the Israelites who just ate the bread, died after eating the bread because they were missing the spiritual part. Ah, you can't have one without the other. Right, yeah. If you don't believe in the spiritual part, it's just bread. Yeah. Even if it is really weird-looking bread. Sure. Magic cornflakes don't work if you don't believe they're magic. Then they're just cornflakes. Right. I will note that this is a little bit uh, disparaging of Judaism, because it's saying that, like, they they didn't get it. Oh, sure. Like, we get it. That makes sense. Um. So, just... A thing to be aware of, Judaism is not lesser than Christianity. Yeah. Obligatory thing to add in there. Don't want anyone thinking that. Yep. So, but, you know, Augustine also, he had his problems with anti-Semitism. Yes. But anyway, he goes on to say that the reality of the Eucharist is the unity of the church with God, and consuming the bread is the outward symbol of that. Great. So the symbol is still important. It's not purely symbolic in the way that we think of symbols today, mm -hmm. because Augustine still believed that Jesus was in the bread. The yeah. bread is important. So but. it's not like level one symbolic. It's symbolic of your dedication to the practice? Sort of. It's partly because the word symbol means something different today than it did when he was writing about it. Sure. Okay. But in his mind, the symbol participates in the reality. Okay. 
if that makes sense. Sort of. Yeah, it's... Enough that I think we can continue down this line and it won't be, like, totally cognitive dissonance. Okay. When so much of Christianity is, in fact, cognitive dissonance. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) So, unsurprisingly, other big guy to weigh in on this, 13th century Thomas Aquinas. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, other important theologian. He said there are two ways to eat the food. If you just eat it as food, again, Israelites, manna in the desert. Yeah. You still die. But if you eat it both physically and spiritually, you get the spiritual effects. So then you both don't die in the desert and you live forever? Yes. Which the living forever, important part of Christianity. Yeah, we're really, really uh, sticking to this immortality thing today. Yeah, it is an important component. (laughs) Yes. I mean, I guess if you're going to try and, like, motivate people to join your new religion, telling them that they'll live forever if they follow your new religion is a good way to get people in. It is. And, you know, by all accounts, it worked pretty darn well. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's why we have a podcast. There are many Christians. Yes. (laughs) So Thomas Aquinas uses this argument to explain why it's okay that young children don't receive communion. Because we had an age restriction at this point. Ah. Uh, which I think we've talked about before. Yes, I believe in our episode on communion, in our Spot the Differences episode, we might have talked a little bit at the historically about age restrictions and when we started saying first communion is like a thing that happens at a set time. Right, in, depending on Where which you are. denomination you are. Yeah. Because some people do give babies communion. There you go. But sometimes they didn't. And he said that it's okay, and they will not not go to heaven because of that. Um, he says that the the person spiritually eats the flesh of Christ and drinks his blood. They are made a sharer in the unity of the church, which comes through charity. Hence, the sacrament is in reality or desire, meaning that the benefits of it can be obtained before the sacramental eating. So you got you have to start believing it, and then you get the food, and then you're believing in the food, so then you get the powers and also the food. Yeah, so... But for, believing in the food is the first part, so, like, teaching children about the importance of it before they actually eat it is just as important as having them eat it at the beginning. Yeah, the it's basically saying that the desire to eat it, as long as there is the intention of eating it at some point... Uh, because he he wants to argue that the eating of the communion is still necessary. Yes, we, we're not uh, disavowing the importance of the actual magic bread. Yes, magic bread, still magic, still important. But if you, like, write an IOU, basically, <laughs> and you're like, all right, I'm going to eat this bread eventually, because I really want it, but mm-hmm. I can't right now. So basically, we're doing communion credit cards? Yeah. <laughs> you just enter into into spiritual credit card debt? <laughs> yes. But Jesus is your sugar daddy who pays off the credit card. Great. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the weirder metaphors we've had on this, this podcast. But it works. <laughs> um, think about it. You really want something, but you can't afford it right now. So you put it on your credit card and you pay it back later, which is you really want communion, but you can't right now. So you do it anyway, and then you pay it back with the actual practice later. Right. And this also works because if you die before you pay off your credit card, you you, you can't, you don't really have to pay it back anymore. Nope. 
somebody's gonna have to deal with it and that person is jesus exactly (laughs) i can't wait for someone who knows more about this than me to tear apart that metaphor (laughs) remember that i'm the one that came up with the metaphor it's not brian's fault (laughs) but no i'm i'm in it i like this metaphor all right so we've established spiritual credit card debt thomas aquinas (laughs) <laughs> so we had a problem come come out of this okay because at this point in time clericalism the the idea that the priests know everything and they're the ones who get to do church most fully and we're just kind of watching sure it was a big problem in the 13th and 14th century okay people every the mass was in latin yeah and very few people spoke latin except the clergy <laughs> right so people just like were kind of there and not didn't really know what was happening. And everybody kind of just decided that spiritual communion was good enough. So they would just ring the bells and people, they were like, oh, bells, something important is happening. They'd raise up the bread and everyone would look at the bread and that was <laughs> communion. Amazing. And then the priests would, would actually eat the bread. Yeah. In our communion episode, we talk about the period of time where there only the priests did communion. Yeah. So the idea uh, that spiritual communion was good enough kind of added to this problem. Sure. Most people at this period of time would only actually receive communion, like, once a year. Like Easter or something? Yeah. Um, It was, people called it, like, the Easter duty. Sure. The once a year thing was only because the Pope was like, no, you need to do this once a year. You need to do it at least once a year. (laughs) That's when you're paying off your credit card debt. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm keeping this metaphor going as long as it makes sense. (laughs) I'm a fan of this weird metaphor. (laughs) So, like all things in the church, over time, this practice of spiritual communion became codified. So now it was enough to ring the bells and look at the bread as long as once a year you ate the bread. Um, y- yeah, and also, but also, like, there became a specific, like, way to do spiritual communion ah, later. There were rules about, yeah. like, if you need to do this in this way instead of in the normal way, this is how you do it in the other way. Right, because later later in time, we get some pushback, and people are more encouraged to, any time they are at Mass, are encouraged to take communion, at least in Roman Catholicism. Yeah. There are other denominations of Christianity that do not do communion mm-hmm. every time they have a service. But 18th century, St. Alphonsus, he set out some guidelines for how to do spiritual communion And the idea that this is, like, an emergency thing when, like, you can't physically get there. Great. It's not, like, a regular practice. So he said, first rule is that just like regular communion, you should be in a state of grace, meaning free from sin. Cool. Uh, Otherwise, you need to say a prayer called the act of contrition. Yes. He also says that spiritual communion, it can be done anywhere or at any time. But ideally, you'd be in a church with a tabernacle. Okay. Uh, do you know? Do you remember tabernacle? Is that the thing in the middle, the like dais situation? It's the the box that yeah. Jesus lives in. Yes. Yeah, leftover Jesus goes in. It's it, in, in the, the tabernacle. tabernacle. But like, ideally, you, if you're doing it in a church with a tabernacle, then like, can't you just get communion? I don't know. Like, are there circumstances? <laughs> Where you would have to do spiritual communion instead of regular communion while also being in a church with a tabernacle. Maybe you don't have the key to the tabernacle? <laughs> like if you walk in alone by yourself on Tuesday night? Maybe. I don't know. Okay. I just feel like if you've managed to find a church and a tabernacle, 
you probably somebody's around who could probably like ring the bells and feed you the bread and the wine. Probably, but I mean, also this is ideally sure. Okay, most likely, if if you need to do spiritual communion, you probably do not have access to at the very least a tabernacle with Eucharist in it. Sure. I guess, like, if you're in a church with a tabernacle, but the tabernacle is empty, that's one thing. Right. So, yeah, that's ideal, but can be done anywhere. And also, ideally, you would do it at the same time that Mass is happening somewhere. Okay. Which could be most times, right? Yeah. There are a lot of people saying Mass at a lot of different times. I mean, I think his, like, his thought here is that, like, a time that you're, like, aware that it is happening somewhere, you're like, ah, yes, St. John's Church in my hometown where I no longer live normally has mass at this time, so I am... You're sinking your clock with this other mass. Yeah, I'm, like, spiritually with this community. So, the reason these two stipulations make sense... Is because first, it's it's pretty obvious, being near the bread would aid in the desire for the bread. Yes. The second, we talked a little bit earlier about the theology of joining the church to God. So this is doing it at the same time that a community is doing it is you joining yourself, you're tacking on to their service. Yeah. Um, because a big part of the theology of this is the body of the church being joined to the body the, of Christ. Of Christ. Yeah. And which you're physically doing. You're, you're joining you're his, body his body to your own by eating him. And so if you're doing spiritual communion, you want to join your body to the body of another group that is actually doing the thing. Yeah, ideally. Sure. He also says that you should meditate on readings from the Bible. Sure. Particularly, he says that the mass readings for that day are a good choice. Consult your book. Yeah, makes sense. Consult the lectionary. Yeah. Do you remember that one? Yes. Okay. Good. I couldn't remember what it was called, but I was like, there's the book that tells you what the readings are. <laughs> you just have to look in the book that tells you what the readings are. Yeah, exactly. That's the book. <laughs> we found it. Not the Bible, the book. The other book. Yeah. That has the Bible readings in it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the, the lectionary. A Bible just put in a different order. Yeah. Most of the Bible. Chunks or, of the Bible put in a different order. There we go. So then you would say a prayer. The prayer that I have in St. Augustine's prayer book, not written by St. Augustine, it's an Episcopal thing. Okay. Uh. (laughs) We'll get to that some other time. Uh, I mean, it was just compiled by, it's a book of prayers that was compiled by two Episcopal priests. Okay, but then why is it called St. Augustine's? I don't know. I I tried looking for why they named it that. Not sure. Okay. All right. So if you look in that prayer book. The prayer that you say is... It says, In union, blessed Jesus, with the faithful gathered at every altar of your church where your blessed body and blood are offered this day, I long to offer you praise and thanksgiving for creation and all the blessings of this life, for the redemption won for us by your life, death, and resurrection, for the means of grace and the hope of glory. I believe you are truly present in the holy sacrament, and since I cannot at this time receive communion, I pray you to come into my heart. I unite myself with you and embrace you with all my heart, my soul, and my mind. Let nothing separate me from you. Let me serve you in this life until by your grace I come to your glorious kingdom and unending peace. Amen. So that's the prayer. Very straightforward. Yeah. Everywhere people are giving thanks for you and doing communion and I can't, but I would really like to. So please give me the spiritual something 
of as if I had Amen. Yeah. We got it. So part of this, I said you're supposed to do some readings, ideally the readings for the church service that would be happening that day. Mm-hmm. A modern equivalent to this would be watching a streamed church service online. Yeah, there's been a lot of that happening. Yeah, that brings us back to why this is relevant. Many churches at this time in COVID hell are still closed. (laughs) So people can't physically go and receive communion. Yes. I want to clarify that COVID hell is a secular hell. Sure. Everyone's in it. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's a very specific kind of hell. Um, I I had a theological thought about universal depravity, but we don't need to get into that. Okay, That's we'll save that. such another thing. Oh my god, we'll save it for another time. I just want to say that we are all universally and secularly in COVID hell, as opposed to just religiously and specifically in COVID hell. Yeah. <laughs> we are in this secular hell. Here uh. we are. We found it. It's stuck inside our houses for four months. Yeah, people can't go to church. Spiritual communion, good way to stay connected and still get the spiritual benefits of communion. I also know a lot of people are not doing spiritual communion. Instead, they're, they are baking their own communion bread and basically doing communion alongside the service in sure. their homes. There are split opinions on this. Okay. Um, I tend to be against it because it takes away a reliance on community. Mm-hmm. If you can do communion on your own, in your own home, you I'm aren't not- really joining yourself to the body of Christ. Um, it's a rule that even a priest can't consecrate bread and wine if they're alone. Mm-hmm. They have to have at least one other person, at least in the Catholic and the Catholic Church and the Anglican Communion. I do not know for sure other denominations what the rules are. That makes sense. It increases its sort of like the community aspect of it. Yeah. I mean, the the original reason for that rule is because in the Middle Ages, priests got paid when they said mass. So they would just, like, say mass as often as they could, like, in their little private altars. Ah, so they needed to, <laughs> you needed to say mass to at least another human being. Yeah. So it was to stop a grift. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> as are many rules in the Catholic Church. Yep. <laughs> but theologically... I think it says a lot about community, and so that's why I would advocate for spiritual communion rather than mm-hmm. eating your own bread at home. Sure. Can you do spiritual communion and then, like, symbolically, like, have a bite of something bready to increase the symbolism of it? Or does that feel like you're cheating? That feels like it's some murky territory. Okay. I feel like if you are, if you believe in spiritual communion, then you also believe that eating that bite of bread doesn't really do anything more for you. Sure. That makes sense. But also, I'm not the communion police, and I'm not going to yell at you for eating some bread. Bread is great. Bread is delicious. Bread is really good. My neighbor gave me um, half a loaf of sourdough bread. Oh my god. Delicious. Not communion. Not communion, (laughs) but delicious. (laughs) So that's what I have on spiritual communion. I love it. What a good way for people to have the resources to get the spiritual things they've been missing during this time where we can't gather in our communities in person. Yeah, and you can look up that prayer. There's a whole little order for the, if you are on a deserted island and don't have a service that you can watch and participate in, if you want to do your own little service, 
St. Augustine's prayer book, you can look it up. I'm pretty sure it exists online. Sure. Any Everything is online. Yeah. <laughs> and in the meantime, wear your masks. Yeah. So someday, people can go back to church. It's important. Please. <laughs> and now we take a break? Yeah, let's take a break and then we'll come back for some fun! Yeah! And we're back! And now it is time for the Patronage Pop Quiz, where I tell Shannon about a saint and she has to guess what they are the patron of. And I remember none of them from the past 46 episodes, so this will be fun! (laughs) (laughs) I think this one should be easy. Okay, I'm excited. (laughs) This week is Saint Ludvina. Okay. Ludvina was born in the Netherlands... On April 18th, 1380. Okay. Her father was a noble, but he was poor, and her mother was a commoner, so the family did not have a lot of money. From an early age, she had a strong devotion to Mary. When she was 16, she was ice skating with some friends, and then one of them accidentally bumped into her. She fell to the ground so hard that she broke a rib. Oh no. It only gets worse. Oh, great. (laughs) Unfortunately, this rib became infected and gangrene set in. Oh, that is not a place you want gangrene. I mean, you don't want gangrene, but that's really not a place you want gangrene. No, it was very bad. I can imagine. (laughs) Uh, This caused her to become paralyzed. Oh, no, thank you. Uh, But unable to move, she began to devote herself to prayer and meditation. And she offered her pain up to God. Great. Tracks for a saint. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Okay, this is weird and doesn't seem real. Okay, I'm ready. (laughs) It said that as part of her illness, she began to shed skin, bones, and parts of her intestines. No, I'm pretty sure that's not how that works. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what this illness was. I Uh, would get skin if you have gangrene. Yeah, that part makes sense. I don't know how you shed bone. Yeah, I think you have to get those removed manually, generally. But anyway, her parents kept this in a vase. Gross. It gave off a sweet smell. Gross. They only buried the bits of Ludvina when it began attracting too much attention from people. Because it did that weird saint thing where it doesn't rot? And also, it smelled good. That's weird. It probably wouldn't normally smell good. good. No. No, it wouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, She also began to have ecstatic visions. Okay. She was shown heaven and purgatory. And she had another vision where she became a part of Christ's passion like the his uh, like uh, the, the story of him with the cross and the bed. yeah and she was visited by many saints she developed a strong devotion to the eucharist and had the gift of inedia meaning she didn't need to eat anything to survive okay at first she would she would still eat bits of apple and dates and she drank some river water that had some salt in it and also some watered down wine but For the last 19 years of her life, she ate only the Eucharist. Wow. During this time, miracles occurred at her bedside. Some people accused her of being possessed. Sure. (laughs) Like you do. (laughs) Also, like, the crazy thing is she's bedridden this whole time. Yeah. She's paralyzed, and there were no, like, ways to deal with that in 13-whatever. Yeah. She she did live a very long time with this illness. Yeah. I mean, 19-plus years. But 
constantly suffering. Constantly suffering, having ecstatic visions, only consuming the Eucharist. Yeah, so I think that the she's possessed is because she was constantly suffering. Sure, I assume you, like, make noises and writhe and do all sorts of terrible things when you're constantly in pain. Yeah. And people would make you think you're possessed. And once, to as a test, her priest brought her an unconsecrated host, uh, but she was able to recognize it as not Eucharist immediately. That's how you know! Uh, <laughs> and... To top it all off, she was blind for the last seven years. Oh no! <laughs> but her final vision was of Jesus coming to administer last rites to her. Man, if you're going to get last rites administered, that's quite a way to have it happen. Yeah. So, and she lived till she was like 53. I didn't write that down, but it was oh like God. a long time. <laughs> yeah, considering her accident was when she was 16? Yeah. Wow. So, Shannon, what is Ludvina the patron of? I mean, is there a patron saint of the Eucharist? No. Okay. Okay. Um, no, that's probably just Jesus. Yeah, I was gonna say, it feels <laughs> wrong for there to be a patron saint of that. Okay, think about something notable that happened in this story. I was gonna story. say, is she a patron saint of ice skating? She is. <laughs> that would be my other guess. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Great. <laughs> She is the patron against sickness, against bodily ills, for ice skating, uh, the patron for people who experience prolonged suffering, for roller skating, for sick people, for skaters and skating. Great. Sure. <laughs> I was just scrolling through topics, uh, patronage topics, yeah. and saw roller skating and was like i have to read this one whatever this one is is too good to pass up well i also like the idea that ice skating almost certainly came before roller skating so then at some point they wanted a patron saint of roller skating and they're like well we already have one for ice skating and they're both skating so they could just get to be the same saint yeah close enough it'll do <laughs> i assume also rollerblading is part of this yeah but not listed <laughs> so <Yeah>. unofficially <laughs> Rollerblading. <laughs> if you're wondering. Don't worry. <laughs> well, that's it for today. That's all we've got. Awesome. Well, thank you all so much for listening. If you want to reach out to us, you can email us at sundayschoolforheathens at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash sundayschoolforheathens or on Twitter at twitter.com slash sundayschoolforheathens. Thank you very much to Adam Griffin for the awesome music used in the show and to David Griffin for the logo. David Griffin has acquired even more letters at the end of his name now. So many that I don't even know what they all are anymore, but congrats to David on that one. And that's all I've got. Go in peace to like and share the pod. Mm -hmm.